Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, James Collins has a very special guest, and we ask Pastor Larry an important question about people who have never heard the gospel. As we begin a new week together, all of us at Watchmen on the Wall want to say thank you for your support of our Studio 50 project. The generous support to help us upgrade our recording studio is really appreciated. We are getting closer each day to the $50,000 goal. Remember, this goal includes all the needed equipment, software, and installation. Please prayerfully consider giving a gift to the Studio 50 Project today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also give online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you for helping us continue to proclaim that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Staff Evangelist James Collins is here now to begin a conversation with a very special guest. I'll let him explain. One of my heroes in the ministry was J.R. Church, the founder and host of Prophecy in the News. I'm sure that many of you remember J.R., but for those of you who are not familiar with J.R. Church, I'd like to take a few moments to share a little about him. J.R. was born in 1938 in Abilene, Texas. His name was Jerry Rowland Church, but he was always known as J.R. He became a Christian at the age of seven in a home Bible study. And not long after, God called him to ministry, and J.R. set out with a goal in life to win others to the Lord Jesus Christ. J.R. graduated from Lubbock High School in 1957, and he moved to Tennessee where he studied Bible at Tennessee Temple University. He ultimately was awarded a Bachelor's of Arts and later was granted an Honorary Doctorate of Divinity from Emmanuel Baptist Theological Seminary in Peachtree, Georgia. In 1958, J.R. Church married Linda, and they had two children, a daughter, Terry, and a son, Jerry. J.R. served as the pastor of Western Hills Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas, for 17 years. He had a skill for teaching Bible prophecy, and he felt God moving him to start a ministry devoted to Bible prophecy. So, in 1979, J.R. moved to Oklahoma City and started Prophecy in the News. J.R. went to be with the Lord in 2011. I was fortunate enough to have met him a couple of times. Once at a conference in 2003, J.R. signed a book for me, and he said, Young man, just keep preaching Jesus and keep looking up. One of J.R.'s most popular books was titled Guardians of the Grail. J.R. was a man who was years ahead of his time. Guardians of the Grail was released years before the book and the movie The Da Vinci Code, but it refutes the nonsense that The Da Vinci Code tried to push off as truth. Guardians of the Grail gives the history behind the secret group that is preparing the world for the Antichrist. Recently, some of J.R.'s recorded teachings about the Guardians of the Grail were discovered in the Southwest Radio Vault. Those recordings were digitally remastered, and they're now available on Compact Disc. Today, I'm very excited to share some of these recordings with you. When asked about his motivation for writing Guardians of the Grail, 
J.R. had this to say. Production for a new movie began in January of 1984 to be filmed by Paramount Pictures along with Gulf and Western Industries. The film will be entitled The Last Temptation of Christ. It tells the sordid story about Jesus and a so-called love affair with Mary Magdalene. It is one of the most vile and wicked bits of blasphemy ever written. Christians across America who know about it are furious and have every right to be. The movie is taken from a book by the same title, written by Kazan Zakis, published in 1960. In the book, Jesus is pictured in the midst of a group of male clients waiting outside Mary Magdalene's bedroom door. Once inside, he confesses to Mary Magdalene, I have committed many sins. I am on my way to the desert now to expiate them. Many sins. The Magdalene accuses him, You crave my body, and instead of saying so, which you wouldn't dare, you start blaming my soul and saying you want to save it. In the story, he marries both Mary and Martha of Bethany and fathers numerous children, naming one of them Paraclete. The book is filled with the most vile and wicked blasphemy ever leveled against our Savior. J.R. went on to say that even though Hollywood made the movie The Last Temptation of Christ, the blasphemy of Jesus fathering children with Mary Magdalene is nothing new. The story is not new. It is at least 1,600 years old and may well be a part of a sinister attempt to prepare the mindset of the world for the introduction of that special harlot called Mystery Babylon. It may well be preparing the world for the introduction of a man who will claim to be the offspring of Mary Magdalene and Jesus. A book published recently called Holy Blood, Holy Grail by Michael Bajant, Richard Lee, and Henry Lincoln reveals the story of this sinister plot. At least one of the authors of the book is an admitted agnostic, and I do not recommend it. In fact, the authors think that a world dictator from the lineage of Jesus is a great idea. Nevertheless, they reveal the sordid story of a secret organization based in Europe which down through the centuries has been the guardian of a so-called holy bloodline, descendants of Mary Magdalene and Jesus Christ. The group is presently made up of over 9,000 men, including Protestants, Roman Catholics, Jews, and Muslims. The members of this secret sect should be considered traitors to their respective beliefs, for in reality they are neither Christian nor Catholic. They are neither Jew nor Muslim. Their doctrine sidesteps the basic tenets of those beliefs and replaces them with the teachings of their greatest prophet, whom they believe to be Buddha. I'm James Collins, and you're listening to a special edition of The Watchman on the Wall. Recently, some recordings were discovered of legendary prophecy teacher J.R. Church speaking about his book, Guardians of the Grail. These recordings have been digitally remastered and are available now on compact disc. This set of four CDs and the book, The Guardians of the Grail, are available now by calling 1-800-652-1144 or you can order online at swrc.com. Let's listen now as J.R. discusses the plans of the so-called Guardians of the Grail. Over the last three decades, stories have been surfacing in France about the existence of such a group. Little by little, they have been preparing the political climate across the world for the emergence of their one-world government and the introduction of a global dictator. According to the tenets of the organization, Jesus Christ did not die on Calvary, but merely pretended to die, 
was taken from the cross, stolen from the tomb, and was believed to have married Mary Magdalene and even produced children. They claimed that when the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD, the Magdalene fled with her sacred children by boat across the Mediterranean to France. There she found refuge in a Jewish community. Future generations of her offspring were said to have married into the royal French family and by the fourth century produced a king to sit upon the throne. His name was Merovi. He was the first of a dynasty to establish the Merovingian bloodline. It is said that the offspring of Merovi were noted for a birthmark on the flesh above the heart, a small red cross. Furthermore, they were said to have clairvoyant powers and could heal the sick by the laying on of hands. In Guardians of the Grail, J.R. Church explains the Merovingian bloodline. Here now is J.R. Church with more. It is said that the Merovingian bloodline found its way to most of the thrones of Europe. An incredible story, which may not be altogether true, but that is beside the point. The fact of the matter is there is a secret organization in Europe today which believes that it is true. From the Merovingian bloodline has come some of the ruling families of Europe, and believe it or not, has even included some of the popes of the Roman Catholic Church. Among them was Pope Stephen IX, leader of the church in the 11th century, during the years of the Crusades. The Crusades, by the way, played an important part in the promotion of the Merovingian bloodline. Most of the Crusaders were French, who went to Palestine to liberate the Holy Land from the Muslims. By the year 1061, the Catholic Crusaders had conquered the city of Jerusalem and established Godfrey de Bouillon of the Merovingian bloodline as king of Jerusalem. Claiming to be of the lineage of David, Godfrey de Bouillon organized a secret society called the Order of Zion in the year 1099. The clandestine secret Order of Zion still exists after almost 900 years. You are listening to J.R. Church talk about his book, Guardians of the Grail. J.R. will now reveal how the priority of Zion formed the Knights Templar. In the years that followed, Godfrey de Bouillon and his secret group, the Order of Zion, began to lay plans for a front organization to carry out their plans. It was the year 1118 when Hughes de Payen organized the Knights Templar and made Badouin, the brother of Godfrey de Bouillon, its first Grand Master. The stated purpose of the Knights Templar were to guard the highways leading to Jerusalem to protect the pilgrims coming to worship. Those nine men unselfishly gave of themselves to go to Jerusalem to become the poor knights of the temple. They pledged themselves to be subject only to the Pope and to no other political or ecclesiastical authority. Upon their arrival in Jerusalem, they were given living quarters in the palace of King Badawin, which had been built on the temple site in Jerusalem. Though there is no historical proof, it is believed that they spent the next nine years digging, digging up the buried treasure of the ancient Jewish temple. In 1953, a copper scroll was found in a cave near the Dead Sea, which told of a fabulous temple treasure, buried by the priesthood in 64 different locations before the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD. Twenty-four of those hordes of gold and silver were buried under the Temple Mountain. It is believed that the Knights Templar 
plundered the treasures of the temple and took it back to Europe. After nine years in Jerusalem, the Knights Templar returned to Europe, wealthy beyond belief. In the years following, they built castles all over Europe and became famous as the guardians of the Holy Grail. It is believed that the Order of Zion organized the Knights Templar to excavate the temple site in hopes of finding the fabulous treasure of the temple. Evidently, they were successful, for in the years that followed, they instituted an international banking system across Europe and would loan gold to destitute kings. The Knights Templar soon broke away from their allegiance to the Bishop of Rome and became an arrogant organization, aloof from all recognized authority. They were not subject to kings or popes. Those international bankers also invented the method by which they could transfer gold from one city to another or from one bank to another simply by writing a note on a piece of paper. Today we call it writing checks. The secret purpose for the Knights Templar was to preserve the Merovingian bloodline in hopes of one day establishing a world government and putting their king upon the throne of this world a king who would claim to be the offspring of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene. The Knights Templar wore white uniforms with a large red cross on the mantle, and legends were told of their exploits. They were the guardians of the Holy Grail, the cup from which Jesus drank the Last Supper, and of the Grail family, the bloodline of the Magdalene. The Knights Templar eventually fell out of favor with the Roman Catholic Church. J.R. Church continues with their story. On October 13, 1307, all the Templars in France were arrested, including their Grand Master, Jacques de Molay. The king also tried to confiscate the treasure of the Temple Knights, but somehow the treasure got away. In March of the year 1304, Jacques de Molay, the Grand Master of the Knights Templar, was burned at the stake. From that point in history, the Knights seemed to vanish from the stage of world history. Nevertheless, the order did not cease to exist. The infamous Inquisition was said to have been organized for the purpose of destroying the Merovingian bloodline and for the confiscation of the treasures of the temple. The French Templars found a refuge in Scotland where the group maintained itself as a coherent body for at least the next 400 years, eventually being developed into an organization called the Scottish Rite. Once again, I am James Collins, and you're listening to legendary Bible prophecy teacher J.R. Church talk about his book, Guardians of the Grail. Here he is again with more history of the Knights Templar. The mystique surrounding the Knights Templar has not diminished there are at least three contemporary organizations which call themselves Templars, claiming to possess a pedigree from the ancient organization. Certain Masonic lodges have adopted the grade of Templar, as well as rituals supposedly descended from the original order. Toward the end of the 19th century, a sinister order of the new Templars was organized and established in Germany and Austria, employing the swastika as one of its emblems. Figures like Helena Blavatsky, a founder of Theosophy, spoke of an esoteric wisdom tradition running back through the Rosicrucians to the Knights Templar. The teachings of Helena Blavatsky can best be seen in the New Age movement today. In the United States, teenage boys are admitted into the Demolay Society, 
probably without any knowledge of where the name came from. But let us not forget that the Knights Templar was only a front organization for a secretive group known as the Order of Zion, whose real purpose was to capture the wealth of the world, establish their own world government, and introduce a Merovingian king to sit upon the throne in Jerusalem. They are said to be the true possessors of the temple treasury and the behind-the-scenes controllers of the world's currencies. You are listening to the late J.R. Church as he teaches from his book, Guardians of the Grail. Listen now as J.R. tells us all about a mysterious silver chalice which was uncovered by archaeologists. In 1910, a team of archaeologists digging at the site of the ancient ruins of Antioch uncovered a beautiful chalice or goblet made of solid silver. The intricate design work around it revealed pictures of Jesus Christ with the twelve disciples. It seemed to be the perfect answer to the legends of the Holy Grail, the cup out of which Jesus drank at the Last Supper. It is thought that the silver chalice could have been made to contain the cup, which has come to be known as the Holy Grail. The silver chalice resides today in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. If that is the silver chalice, then where is the golden cup? It should have been inside the chalice, but alas, it was missing. Once again, I'm James Collins, and you are listening to a special edition of The Watchman on the Wall. Recently, some recordings were discovered of prophecy teacher J.R. Church speaking about his book, Guardians of the Grail. These recordings have been digitally remastered and are available now on CD. This set of four compact discs and the book, Guardians of the Grail, are available by calling one 800 652-1144. That toll-free number, once again, 1-800-652-1144. Or you can always order online at swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Let's listen again as J.R. discusses the legends of the cup of Christ. In Revelation 17, a woman called Mystery was seen holding a golden cup in her hand. Verses 4 and 5. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Because of its prophetic significance, let us review the legend of the Grail. It is said that in the eons of eternity past, Lucifer, the great light bearer, became the very epitome of darkness when he rebelled against the Creator. According to the legend, Lucifer wore a crown of sparkling beauty, in the center of which was a magnificent stone called the Stone of Light. In the ensuing conflict between the two great archangels, Michael struck the stone from the crown of Lucifer. Some accounts say that the stone was transformed into a golden cup while others say that Michael incarnated himself into the golden cup of the Holy Grail and descended to earth to prepare the way for the redemption of not only the fallen human race, but for Lucifer himself. The golden vessel was said to be used first by Melchizedek when he offered the bread and wine to Abraham on Mount Zion. Over the years, it was preserved in the mystery cult of Hercules, a Platonic sun hero, guarded in a Phoenician temple in Tyre, the city of Hiram, the king who designed and built the temple for Solomon. Then it passed into the hands of the queen of Sheba, the queen of star wisdom, 
She brought it to King Solomon. Preserved down through the centuries, it became the cup used by Christ when he partook of the Last Supper with his disciples. It is said that a Jew brought it to Pilate when Jesus was led before him. And when, after the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea begged the body of Jesus from Pilate, the Roman potentate committed to him that golden grail. According to legend, Joseph of Arimathea caught the blood of Jesus in the golden grail as the Savior hung on the cross. Joseph later took the Holy Grail to England. It disappeared, however, and was thought to be in heaven. A vision of the Grail was seen by a nun, a sister of one of the knights of King Arthur's round table. This vision was so inspiring that all the knights vowed to search for the Holy Grail. According to the legend, only three finally got to see it, Galahad, Percival, and Bors. It is said that Joseph of Arimathea was present when Longinus, the Roman centurion, pierced the sight of Christ with a likewise legendary spear. That spear, by the way, resides today in a museum in Vienna, Austria. Joseph of Arimathea supposedly caught the blood of Christ in the golden vessel, and he and his descendants became the guardians of the Holy Grail. You have been listening to a special program with the late J.R. Church, the founder of Prophecy in the News, speaking about his book, Guardians of the Grail. To get a copy of this book and this dramatic teaching on Compact Disc, call 1-800-652-1144 or order online at swrc.com. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but next time, J.R. will talk more about Mary Magdalene. Be sure to tune in for our next program with J.R. Church on The Watchman on the Wall. We'll have part two of this unique conversation with James Collins and J.R. Church next time. Get the complete conversation on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Today in our Resource Center, we are excited to offer Guardians of the Grail, book and four CD set. These items from J.R. Church show the framework for a global economy and political system is being set in place. J.R. Church reveals the story behind the developing United States of Europe. The four-CD set features the voice of the late J.R. Church, founder of Prophecy in the News, as he examines the Grail legend and takes you back through the centuries to view an emerging family dynasty who may soon attempt to establish one world government. Guardians of the Grail book and four CD set can be yours for a gift of $35 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144 or you can order online swrc.com. From time to time on Watchmen on the Wall, we like to ask Pastor Larry questions about God, the Bible, and the Christian life. Today's question is one that many people think about. Pastor Larry, isn't God unfair in condemning those who have never heard the gospel? No one is ever condemned for not hearing the gospel. There is not a single verse that supports that. People are not judged by what they don't know. Rather, they are judged by what they do know and fail to obey. In Romans 1, verse 18 and following, the apostle speaks of the guilt of the unbelieving world. God's wrath is revealed, not against those who have never heard the gospel, but against those who suppress the truth that is available to all people. What can be known about God, even without the scripture, is evident to them. 
His invisible and almighty power are revealed in the natural world. People can learn enough about God from the natural world to render them without excuse for not obeying it. In Romans 1.20, we read, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse does not mean they are without excuse for not hearing the gospel. Rather, it means they are without excuse for living in a way that denies the existence of God. No one can be saved without hearing the gospel, but even if the general revelation through God's creation were sufficient to lead people to salvation, we would still have to ask the question, has any lost person lived up to the light in creation and in conscience? God is not unfair. Romans 2, 11 and 12 says, For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. The problem is not with what we don't know, but what we do know and fail to keep. However, there appears to be some people who are not saved, but who are sincerely seeking. I think of the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8, who had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He was returning home and reading a portion of the scroll of Isaiah. He was obviously a sincere seeker. He had made a trip of many, many miles and had purchased a scroll of Isaiah. And here he is in the desert reading the scroll, but he needs help to understand what is written in the scripture. God knows all about his seeking heart and sends Philip, who asks him, Understandest thou what thou readest? And the man says, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. That's from verses 30 and 31. It's a beautiful story. Philip explains the story. The man believes and is baptized in water. The conversion of Cornelius, the Italian centurion, is similar. Cornelius was a God-fearing man, along with those under his roof, who was generous with his money and who was devoted to prayer, according to Acts 10, verse 2. Though he was a good man and a decent man, he needed to hear the gospel and to accept Christ. Through a divinely arranged series of circumstances, God sends Peter to Cornelius. Peter, however, like so many Christians of the first century who came from a Jewish background, needs to be persuaded that God approves of his ministry to a Gentile. All of this indicates how good people who are sincere seekers will have a chance to hear the gospel. God will make sure of it. Sharing the gospel with someone is a sacred and holy duty. Sometimes, however, those to whom you are witnessing will try to show that the Bible is wrong and the truth that Jesus is the only way is ridiculous. And they will throw out the question, well, what about those who have never heard? Remind them that they have heard. What will they do with the fact that they know that Jesus Christ is the only way? Only Jesus has paid the ransom price to set the captives free. If you have a question for Pastor Larry, simply email askpastorlarry at swrc.com. In the resource spotlight today, we have Guardians of the Grail book and four CD set by J.R. Church. Call 1-800-652-1144 and order yours today. You can also order online swrc.com. 
Tomorrow, you can hear J.R. Church continue unraveling the mystery of the Grail legend. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.